Good morning, all. Morning. morning. So as Richard said, my name's Ian. If you don't know me, if you're newish here or you're newish from South, where I don't make it very often, I'm one of the, uh, part of the eldership team here. It's great to see so many of you here this morning. And today I'm going to be concluding our series on the spirit of Christmas. And what is it? Richard's having difficulty with the day and the date. So it is December the 29th. Can we agree on that, Richard? Just about. Yeah. It is December. And I don't know about you, but does... Does Christmas already, in one sense, seem quite a long time ago? Yeah? Well, hold on to your hats, because we're now hitting fast forward for about 30 years, okay? (laughs) So our passage today, we're actually looking at an early episode um, in the ministry of Jesus. So before we dive into that, just a, a quick update on the chronology, the story so far. So only a few days ago in our 2019 world, Jesus was born... And he spends the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity, first as a refugee, then we next see him perhaps as a precociously wise 12-year-old, and then he goes kind of quiet and just lives out his life as a carpenter for a bit. But then the ministry starts. He's baptized in water by John and has the Holy Spirit descend on him in the form of a dove. He enters the wilderness and overcomes all the temptations the devil can throw at him. He then starts his ministry with teaching and miracles. And the word about him starts to spread through the land. And then does what any good Jewish boy does, should do, goes home to his mum, goes home. He goes home, turns up in his hometown synagogue. And that's what we're going to read about in just a minute. Before I do that, Let me just quickly pray. Father God, we we thank you for the scriptures that we have. We thank you for these these words inspired by the very Holy Spirit about whom we're going to be talking. And Father, you, you promise that when your word is preached, it doesn't return to you empty. And so we claim this promise for all of us this morning, including myself that we would go home with some some greater knowledge, some greater understanding, but more than that, with actually a greater desire to serve and see your will and your purposes worked out in this town of Bedford and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 4, where we start... Oh, thank you very much, Ginny. While you're doing that, I will... um, I was singing with gusto. Apologies for those of you close to me. Chapter 4, starting at verse 16. It should also be up on the screen behind me. And um, this scripture is so important to us at the moment, and, and it's echo in Isaiah, that you will even find part of it written on a bright yellow board at the front of the church. So um, we're on good territory this morning. But starting at verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. He, that being Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Now, in some ways, my first point, and I've only got three, but my first point today is a bit tangential to the overall thrust of this passage. And I, I tried to write it out of this message on many occasions, but it, it just wouldn't be written out. It kept coming back in. And in some ways, it's an echo to something we've had previously as well. But it wouldn't leave me. So I'm sorry, here it is. <laughs> but that is that the Holy Spirit inspires all of Scripture. Now, it may seem many obvious to many of us, but Jesus here is quoting the beginning of Isaiah 61, the Old Testament. And I've met many Christians over my Christian life of 30 years or more who felt a lot more comfortable with the New Testament than the Old. And I've even been that Christian myself. However, Jesus quotes Old Testament scriptures on many, many, many occasions. Not just here. Throughout the four Gospels, Jesus is recorded as, have, as being, having quoted Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, the Psalms, Isaiah, Hosea, Zechariah, and at that point I gave up and stopped counting. More. Repeated quoting by Jesus of Old Testament Scripture. Indeed, in the, in the verses we preceding our passage today in Luke, it's the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness Time and again, the devil tries to lure Jesus into sin. And time and again, Jesus answers, not with logic, not with wisdom, but with scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All of those from various bits in Deuteronomy. Of course, we also need to remember what's written in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And of course, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, it goes without saying that the only scripture that there was was the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist in the form that we have it today. So that's what he was talking about when he said, it's all useful stuff. So why am I making such a point of this? Good question. Because if we neglect the Old Testament, we miss out on so much of the story. It starts with everything dark. And the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who's the subject of this series, hovering over the waters. We have all the history of the formation of the people of God, the emergence of Israel, and its ascent as a nation to a high point under David and Solomon, and then its decline as its kings and its people turned their backs on the Lord. We have the books of the law, which if nothing else, show the impossibility of us making ourselves right with God through our own efforts. It just cannot be done. We have the prophets who continually challenged the people, sought to lead them back to the Lord, and also foretold the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And we also have books of inspired poetry and wisdom, including the treasure 
that's the Psalms. Because to me, Scripture is, is never more simultaneously divine but human relatable than in the Psalms. Despair, anguish, anger, joy, praise, and worship. It's all there. It's all there. Now, as many of you will know, my wonderful wife, Caroline, oh, help. I have to change this. Apologies, Caroline. I have to mistype. This is my wonderful wide Caroline. That's not a postcard. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I can assure you I've put on more weight than she has over Christmas. Absolutely. But it definitely meant to say wife there. But my, my wife. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> my wonderful wife, Caroline, unfortunately needed an operation earlier this year, which she understandably was very worried about. But the wonderful Patty kindly came round and prayed with her. And that was great. But what was even better was these. I don't know if you can, you won't be able to see these because they're small. But what Patty had done, she gave her cards with scriptures on them, including two from the Psalms. So we have Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And then Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And there's others as well. These now live in one of Caroline's most important places, inside her phone case. <laughs> they were such power and use to us. So Caroline herself reading them, and when Caroline was waiting for the operation, I read through, again and again at times, didn't I? I'd read through each one of them, and Caroline would just say, again, and I'd read them through again. Again. Having a toddler almost. More, more. <laughs> so scripture very much, including the Old Testament, is powerful. Amen? Amen. But as I said at the beginning, that's in many ways a sidebar to today's passage, albeit an important one. So my next point is that the Holy Spirit works to his agenda. Now, I don't know what you think about the story we've read today, but actually it was a commonplace happening. Men then would go to the temple, they'd be handed the scrolls, they'd stand up, they'd read, then they'd sit down and they'd expound on the scriptures. They'd be asked questions. And this could go on, the Sabbath was set aside for this, this could go on for hours, there'd be multiple people doing this. What Jesus started doing was completely unexceptional. And this passage may have even been a very popular one. Remember the times that these people are living in. The land has been conquered by the Romans. The longed-for Messiah, who many hope and believe will kick the hated occupiers out, has yet to arrive, reminding themselves of the prophecies of good times to come. Must have been comforting. But Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus, he takes it up several notches. And after reading those few lines from Isaiah 61, as we have written on the, the yellow screen board over there, he stops. And as the passage says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were upon him, fastened on him. What would he say? 
How would he explain and teach on this passage? And then, in my immediate imagination, we have then what, if they'd had microphones, would have been a great mic drop moment. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. (laughs) Except it, it probably wasn't quite like that. Because as scripture says, he began by saying. So he almost certainly went on to unpack that a bit more and start explaining about who he was, what he'd come to do, etc. But it almost certainly was not what the people were expecting. The Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, has his own agenda. And if we were to carry on reading the passage, we can get a sense of both the growing awe and wonder at what was being taught, but also perhaps a growing sense of confusion, or if you'd excuse the term, cognitive dissonance, like, what is this? People just couldn't reconcile what they were hearing with the carpenter's boy that they remembered. And when Jesus starts calling them out on it, saying that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, their wonder turns to anger. And they drive him out of the synagogue and actually try and drive him over a cliff and kill him. But by the power of the Spirit, he just slips through the crowd and escapes. You see, the Holy Spirit's agenda that day was so far from what they were expecting that they just couldn't see the truth that was literally and I'm using the word literally, literally in this occasion. <laughs> literally and personally, right before their very eyes. They couldn't get over the fact that this was Joseph's son. Their knowledge of him as man and boy seemed to perhaps blind them to his divinity and the Holy Spirit that had come upon him. So is there a point for here, us to learn here? Absolutely. Church, We need to be continually on the guard that our own preconceptions and opinions do not blind us to the work and the agenda of the Holy Spirit. And that's especially the case when he chooses to work through one of us here in this body. You see, big meetings with visiting preachers are great. YouTube or God TV ministry delivered by a megastar in inverted commas absolutely has its place. But church, if we're building our faith or our response on the man or the woman that we see before us, rather than the work of the Holy Spirit through that person, then we're building on sand. We can all, as Christians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can all do his work and his purposes in this time and this place. As the prophet Joel foretold, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Church, say to me, all. All. Put your hand up if you're included in all. I think most of you get it. (laughs) I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's us. Now, in one slightly strange way, and I apologize, my thinking is slightly strange at times. 
I think that loyally serving the Lord in the same local church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more can actually be harder in some respects than continually moving on to new things. You can never completely leave your mistakes behind. A church full of long-standing members needs to be really good at forgiveness. I've been here a bit over 27 years now. If there's some of you in this room who at some point I haven't offended, <laughs> it's your turn next, don't worry. <laughs> and because you're geographically settled if you're part of a church for a long time, the temptation to spiritually settle can be overwhelming. If everything is new, if everything is fresh, if every day is an adventure because your physical circumstances have changed, if they don't, well, it's just an elongated post-Christmas slump of decades, potentially, isn't it? Yeah, I firmly believe that just as the Spirit empowers some to be pioneers, constantly moving and starting new things, hallelujah, the Spirit also empowers some to diligently serve in the same place for decades. So as I said, I've, I've been here with Caroline over 27 years, and as I look out across you this morning, I can see a fair few faces who were here when I arrived. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'd just like to actually honour all of you now. Actually, if you were here or at Southside Cornerstone, one of our churches that makes up the family today, if you were here when there was, let's say last century, sounds, that sounds a long time ago, when there was a 19 at the beginning of the year, could you stand up if you're able now? I've embarrassed you, you can sit down now. But church, this is what diverse family is about. If we're a family who's constantly moving on, if there's no stability, that way danger lies. But if we're a family where no one ever moves, then you have to ask if there is life. <laughs> we need both. We need both. And as I said, I firmly believe that some of us and many of those standing, we're just called to be missionaries to the street that we live in, the town that we're part of. You see, we're sometimes prone to believing the lie that if, if God hasn't called me to, and insert the name of the town or the country or whatever it is happens to be there, then God hasn't really called me to anything at all. Rubbish. If you've had no overt calling to wherever, that means in parenthesis, assuming your eyes are open and your ears are open and you're listening to him, that means that your calling is right here, right now. Now, it's wonderful that we're part of a global church community. We can send family members to catch and spread the fire across the world. We're hugely greatly to our friends across that world who have spoken into our church life over the years and has happened more recently in the case of Aviva Miento Church in Bogota, prophesied a mighty move of God here in the UK. But church, and actually... Forgive me, this might seem slightly strange, but I'm going I'm to walk amongst you as I do this bit because we're church together 
and sometimes the platform gets in the way of what we're saying. What I'm saying is not as someone on a platform, it's as someone in the body. Does that make sense? Church, let's not be like the Nazarenes who'd heard the prophecy, but then they failed to believe when its fulfillment stood right before them. It may well be that the Holy Spirit has yet more overseas connections for us to make and more input to give to us from those who are geographically far away. But it may just also be that he has all the human resources that he chooses to use to start a revival right here, right now, in Bedford, today. We need to be as open to one as to the other. Church, let's not be tempted to close our eyes to what the Spirit is doing amongst us. Because you see, my final point is that the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through us. Now, many theologians and commentators have found it interesting that Jesus doesn't read all of Isaiah 61, doesn't read very much of it at all, actually. He stops halfway through what is now for us, but wasn't for him, verse 2. Didn't have verses back then. He doesn't go on to speak of, as the scripture continues in Isaiah, the day of the vengeance of our God. Now to his listeners back then, 2,000 years ago, he may well have stopped just before the good bit, in inverted commas. Remember, occupy people. To those awaiting a Messiah who would drive out the Romans, the day of vengeance perhaps could not come too soon. But now, we typically see this day of vengeance as actually the second coming of Jesus. So we here, perhaps are living in a comma in that scripture. <laughs> the good news has started to be proclaimed, but the day of vengeance has yet to come. And Jesus, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, left his church with these instructions. Hopefully many of you will know them well. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, the good news has been proclaimed to the poor, but there are still many living in poverty who have yet to hear it. Freedom has been proclaimed to the prisoners, but there are still many living in captivity. And the year of the Lord's favor has been gloriously proclaimed through what Jesus did on the cross and how it's been talked about for 2,000 years afterwards. But there are still many who have not heard and are not living in the good of it. Church, if you're in Christ, that's now your job our job. Now, when I read, I read a number of different expositions on this passage, and I was slightly confused because many had a very definite, definite leaning and interpretation, either one way or another, on the sort of poor, freedom, etc., etc. Some very much emphasize the physical, that it's for the church to relieve material poverty, set free those in actual slavery, and so on. 
Others majored very heavily on the spiritual fulfillment of this passage, combating the spiritual poverty of this age, the enslavement of humanity to sin, and so on. And this initially surprised me, because surely it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. But then I thought, well, actually, maybe it's not surprising, because in, in the real world in which we have to live, rather than the theoretical world of a preacher's dreams... It seems easier to jump one way or the other than to try and take that middle approach. You see, many in society are very grateful for any organization that seeks to help those in material need. But as soon as you start explaining that your motivation is to demonstrate Christ's love for the world, then the shutters go up. The funding even maybe dries up. On the other hand, many churches find it, perhaps find it easier to stand on the sidelines and shout about God's love rather than get involved in the messy reality that is many people's lives today. And we as a family have perhaps in our past been in this place as well until we were challenged by the prophetic to, and the phrase was, get our hands dirty and get stuck in. We need both. We need both. So to conclude, before we pray, let's remember that the Holy Spirit and Scripture go hand in hand. I find it difficult to preach about one without referencing the other. We need both. Now Terry Virgo, who founded the New Frontiers movement of churches, which we've been part of for many years, he gave a great illustration that I still remember from a Stonely Bible Week many, many years ago. So it must have been good. <laughs> he said he was saying, as Christians, we're like arrows to be shot out to spread the good news. The scriptures are the tail feathers of our arrows. Without them, we'll go off track, head off in random and potentially dangerous directions. The spirit is the arrow head. Without it, we'll lack impact, we'll lack power, and likely just bounce off whatever we encounter. We must have both. We're a people of word and spirit. And let's also remember that the Holy Spirit's agenda is not always what we think or even what we hope or want. And let's especially not overlook that he wants to do in and through every single one of us here. And perhaps, most importantly of all, let's remember that we're living effectively in the middle of a verse. As I stated earlier, good news has been proclaimed to the poor, but there are still many living in poverty who have yet to hear it. Freedom has been proclaimed to the prisoners, but there are still many living in captivity. And the year of the Lord's favor has been gloriously proclaimed through what Jesus did on the cross. But there are many who are still not living in the good of it. Church, are we up to starting to fix that in Bedford in 2020? Richard is. Anyone else? <laughs> If you're up for that, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to get up for that if you're able, and come down here to the front, 
We need more of the Holy Spirit. And there may be a few of us. If we have people experienced in ministry who want to, to move amongst and minister amongst some of these folk, that would be fantastic if you could do that. Once you've been prayed for, if you'd like to pray for other people and you're experienced in doing that, please do that. But I just want to, I'll start us off with a prayer, then I want to release you to start praying for each other. And then when the time seems right, I'll invite the band back, we'll sing, and we'll close. Does that sound like a plan? Holy Spirit, we need more of you. Father, we desire to see this town impacted for you, but we need power. And however much we've had before, Father, Christmas is a time of perhaps of overindulgence, so we ask for more. We cannot overindulge. There's no such thing as spiritual indigestion from too much of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd fall on us afresh now with purpose. With purpose. Not just for a good fuzzy feeling. Spirit, I pray you'd be dropping thoughts and people into our minds right now that you have for us to start impacting in 2020. Father, I pray you'd, right now you'd be reconfirming people that they are specifically called to this place and this time. And that you'd enable us to put behind us our, our lethargy, our settledness, and get on the mindset of, a, even though we might have been here 20, 30, 40 years or more, to recreate that mindset of missionary to this town and this place as if we'd just arrived in this town. And Father, we ask all this so that your name might be glorified in this town. Amen. Now, there's a lot of you. If you're able to pray for people, please pray for people.